to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA on the Go. Welcome back um, to another episode with the wonderful Tanya Rollins, who is here having a really important conversation with us about um, disproportionality and racial equity in the CPS system here in Texas. So um, we were talking earlier about um, biases and how that's something that we all bring to the table based on our own backgrounds, um, how we were raised and learned stereotypes and and all these things that are um, contributing to um, our biases. And let's talk a little bit about like how aware are people typically of the biases that are influencing um, their decisions or recommendations that they're making? Generally, people are very unaware. And that is because, partially because, We live in a society in which having these conversations are essentially taboo. We have not taught people to sit down the way you and I are talking right now and have a conversation that's open and honest. We've also not taught people to do critical self-reflection. It is not something we tell people to do. Also, we live in a society where if I tell you that you have a bias, whether it be implicit or explicit, the first thing people jump to is you called me racist. Now, I may never have used the word racist, but we've conditioned people to believe that anytime anybody confronts you or has a conversation with you about your biases, that that's what's happening. So oftentimes, most people want to just live in denial about it. And now we also live in a time in which we have this buzz phrase and implicit bias. And I say buzz phrase, although we know that scientifically implicit bias is real. But unfortunately, a lot of people use implicit bias as their get out of jail free card. Mm. Their way of not acknowledging that they knew about a bias, right? So often tell people that, When you talk about implicit bias, you have to talk about the biases you are very well aware that you have and that you've been acting out on. So oftentimes what you see is someone gets caught and you see it with the Starbucks incident that happened in the Starbucks with the two gentlemen. You'll see it when, you know, H&M does an ad that's very flagrant. Someone will say, well, I'm going to send everybody to implicit bias training. One of the things you have to recognize is there are those biases that we don't know that we have because they have been so ingrained in us that they are sitting in our subconscious that we act. We don't know we have them until we act out on them. But there are also biases that we're very well aware that we have. I use the example of child welfare and fathers. Historically, child welfare has not been a system that has benefited fathers. Historically, child welfare has not been a system that really has taken into account the needs of fathers. However, most child welfare workers can probably tell you, I knew there was a father. I didn't go through all of the steps 
right? Historically, we've made a lot of changes to that. I want to make sure that's known. But historically, and then you can pinpoint the fact that it's a system bias combined with some individual biases against fathers. And we take that bias and we know that in child welfare, if we bring a child into a system and we ignore the complete side of that child's family, then we're doing a disservice to that child based on a bias that we're pretty well aware that exists. Yeah. Right. And so to answer your question, I think people, I think it's a combination. I think sometimes people are very well aware of their biases. They just don't want to admit it. And then other times people have been living in denial long enough because we have failed to actually have conversations about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think we do mostly talk about implicit biases. And so it's important that we're talking about the explicit biases as well. And like, what, who, who are we skipping over and not even having a conversation about, like in the case of fathers? Um, and I, I, I know that that's still, we do, fo- we do tend to focus a lot more on mothers and the maternal sides of families and that we still have more work to do to um, equally value what fathers can bring and what paternal family members can bring to a child's life and value that. Exactly. Um, so dovetailing with that, something I wanted to ask you about is the practice of blind removals, which is something that I've been reading about um, being implement- implemented in other states lately with um, some powerful reser- results. And I'm just curious to talk to you about that and um, your thoughts on that practice. Maybe if we can talk about like what that looks like and if that's something that we've ever considered implementing in Texas. Sure. Blind removals is a relatively new concept. Dr. Price out of Nassau County really led the research. And our TED Talk is awesome. What it really is, it's about doing a convening, essentially a convening of staff and I believe sometimes community in which you are basically taking race out of a removal equation, meaning the documents that you have are the demographics are taken away, the geographical context is taken away with the understanding that you are assessing a case based on the facts. And if you don't know race, what sort of decision would you make? I think it's very promising. In Nassau County, where she did her study at, they went from 55% African-American children being removed to 29%, if I have that right, Wow, which is a huge decrease. I think it's something that's always worth looking at while understanding that geographical context also makes a difference. A lot of The times when you're talking about putting a convening together, it means you're talking about a non-emergency removal. Right. And in Texas, we do a large percentage of emergency removals, right? So a non-emergency removal essentially means you have a little bit more time. You believe that a child is in danger, but maybe not imminent danger, right? That there's a, let me rephrase that, that there's a safety risk there. But you have a little bit more time to go to the courts and do the removal in that fashion. 
versus most of our emergency removals are very quick right there on the scene. So that's one concept is what is the amount of emergency versus non-emergency removals that one has to do? It also leads to the question of, can you ever fully take race out of an equation? Mm -hmm. So that would mean that when a worker documents that the only indicators of race are in the demographic and geographical information. And we know that there are other ways in which I can document a case or document a narrative in which I've inserted different things that may also indicate race within a case. So that's one thing hmm. is, is it possible to fully do that? And how deep are they going into the case? I think the other, you know, primary factor with that is, is it sustainable? Is holding those sort of convening sustainable over time? And then are we training the people who are in the convenings? Are they being trained to look at cases with an equity lens in the first place? Yeah. So how much goes in? But we believe it's a promising practice. And we've actually begun doing some research to begin looking into it. Senator Royce West out of Dallas began asking the questions last session, as a matter of fact. Wow, that's exciting. Well, you yes. raised some great points, and I'm um, looking forward to hopefully learning more about this and seeing where it goes in Texas. I'm excited, too. Awesome. And are there other, like... What are child welfare what are child welfare professionals doing here in Texas to try to not just reduce but eliminate racial disproportionality in our child welfare system? Right. I'm glad you said eliminate because ultimately that's our goal, right? Reducing it is a short-term goal. And over time, we've begun chipping away. So technically, if you wanted to say just reduce it, we've already done that. So our ultimate goal is to eliminate disproportionality. We're constantly looking at new and innovative ways. One of our programs that we know works is alternative response, which is an alternative to traditional investigations. And it takes us back to what I like to tell people is social work 101, engagement, which is huge, working with families and ultimately offering services to families. A huge percentage of our cases are neglect cases. So a lot of times people need services. They don't necessarily need a long-term caseworker. They need safety net yeah. services. Looking at our policies and our practices is something we do on a regular basis. We're continuously looking at our data. So we want to know how we're doing and where we should look while understanding that data doesn't tell the whole story. Data only usually gives you a point where you can start looking at and doing a deeper dive. I think first and foremost, one of the things that we do is we work with community, and which is huge. And we work with our stakeholders. One of the things that I've learned is if you put community in a room, community will hold systems accountable. 
systems have a very hard time holding themselves accountable. Right. If we did, we probably would have solved the world by now. (laughs) Right. But communities, they hold us accountable all the time. Often tell people when a community takes its thumb off of a system, that system just reverts back to the way it was because systems were functioning. So oftentimes we talk about broken systems. Our systems aren't broken. They're functioning the way they were designed to focus. Um, Function, I mean. Cross-systems involvement, leadership development, partnership, ongoing partnerships. Also, continuously looking at how can we do this differently. One thing is Houston has a citizen review team. And one of the things our citizens review teams do across the state is those are the teams that go back and look at cases to see, make suggestions and see what could have been done differently. Well, when you have a citizens review team that's focused on equity, then that per, that team can really look to see what are some barriers here. Involvement in the process. Oftentimes in our disproportionality work, we have community at the table during interviews. That's huge. We want to make sure that in our policy implementation phase, we have a point where it can go to people with lived experiences. Because if I'm just waiting on our voices, our voices are going to sound the same time and time again. The other piece is our youth. Right. Really getting our youth involved in the decision making as well. We use the Texas model for the elimination of disproportionality and disparities that really just puts all of that together with data evaluation, community involvement and leadership development. And those are some of the main components that if you stick to that, also the dedication of resources So in working with different entities, understanding that it takes people to do the work and you got to keep people at the table doing the work. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And do you have any thoughts or suggestions on what CASA advocates can do or steps we can take or resources that we should look to um, to really become more aware of implicit and explicit biases in our advocacy and promote greater awareness in those that we work with? Sure. I always say the first step is to do some critical self-analysis. Actually sit down and begin to look at yourself and examine what your biases are. Have the conversation. That is sometimes the hardest thing is to actually sit down and have the conversation, get past your discomfort, push your growing edge and be willing to sit down and have the conversation and be willing to have someone tell you, you know, that decision you made, it's questionable. And this is why it's questionable. Or, you know, that decision you made is problematic. And this is why. Is problematic. The other piece is, I will always say, challenge the system. One of the things that happens, and I tell this to workers all the time, is we often believe that in these huge systems, depending on what my role is, 
I can't challenge the system. When in reality, that's how systems change. So as you're seeing things out there with families, be willing to call it to someone's attention, whether it be the department, whether it be a CASA executive director, whoever it may be, begin to challenge the system. The other thing, and I think the most important thing is do the work. So oftentimes what happens is, and to be very frank, white people want to learn from people of color. People of color cannot always be the ones doing the teaching. There is work to be done. And we live in a society where the resources are overwhelming, that if you want to do the work, you can do the work. There's a great book that I recommend. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kende. I think that's a great book. Also think White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo is another great way to begin to start your journey along these ways. My other thing is for your CASA volunteers, go to knowing who you are. That's two days where you can begin having the conversation starting the journey. And then last, be willing to accept when you're wrong. We have to be able to practice cultural humility, which is being able to say I was wrong or also being able to say I don't know and someone else needs to teach me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tanya, for sharing all of these powerful um, guidance with us. I think that that's so um wonderful for our advocates to hear and um, hope that folks check out those books and trainings that you were talking about. Um, So thank you again so much for sharing your time with us and helping us to kind of deepen our understanding and move our advocacy forward for the children and families that we serve. Um, And for all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'd love to hear from you. Find Texas Casa on Facebook and let us know what advocacy topics you'd like us to address on future episodes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Casa on the Go. Join us next time for more dynamic continuing education brought to you by Texas Casa.